You got the call. Welcome to the big leagues, kid. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the call-up presented by Triple Play Fantasy. We are here in week eight. I am joined by our co-host and a special guest that I'll get to in just a second. But first, Baby Huey and the Time Traveler are back and ready to give you guys some awesome players tonight. Mike, how you doing? Doing good. I was not expecting the Baby Huey ah, reference to bring that in for you. Uh, it's going good, Mandy. Glad, glad to be here with you guys as always. You know, I always enjoy talking baseball with friends. Uh, I won't spoil the guest this week, but this appearance is a long time coming. I consider him one of my close friends in this baseball space, and he's actually been a lifesaver for me on more than one occasion. So couldn't be happier to have him with here with us. Uh, how's how's your week been, Vinny? My week's good. You know, out in the field, you know, watching some more uh, 2023 draft prospects. Corbin Carroll had a walk-off today, so I'm I'm excited. I'm ready to go. No more uh, crazy stuff happening near your house this week, right? Oh, no. That's that's the past. I'm, I'm looking towards the future. Ah, I like it. I like it. Looking ahead. Uh, and we are really excited as we're looking ahead here to an awesome guest for the show. We welcome in a man that is a writer and a co-host of the Red Seat Podcast over at Over the Monster. There's a lot of work for them. He also is a contributor for the Dynasty Guru. It's always a good time when you have Bob Osgood on the show. What's up, man? Hey, Mendy. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate the kind words. And uh, Michael, appreciate that as well. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of great conversations throughout the offseason. I mean, geez, we got the the overall TGFBI champion. I mean, come on now. <laughs> and anytime I can get a little criticism and advice on my teams, I'll take that. So, um, you know, you guys have a great thing here with this show, and uh, it's really nice of you to have me on. Appreciate it. Well, we're pumped to have you. And we were talking a little bit before the show. Uh, you do leagues of all different types. You do, uh, you're in a 30 team league that you were telling us about before, which sounds just completely like out of this world, just the, the type of players I'm sure that you have. Uh, on your teams then you're also in the main event you're doing I think just normal 10 12 team leagues whatever the case may be first question to you is does all those different league formats have you your head spinning because it's a lot of different types um I think the only thing that can be tough sometimes is keeping track of fab because I really try to keep my leagues to weekly I don't really I have a couple of daily leagues but I try to keep it to weekly leagues um but, you know, Sundays can be tough. I try to get ahead of it, especially in the summertime. If I'm, you know, out at a cookout and I'm hustling home to do fab, who knows what I've been doing all day. It can get a little bit tough. So I try to get ahead of that uh, during the season. You know, some of them run on Monday morning. Some of them are twice a week. So that's really the only time that it's tough. But, you know, then you got to set the lineups on Monday and you can check out and watch the games and, and enjoy that piece. Um, but, yeah, you know, it, it takes – takes a couple of weeks to keep track of, of what you have, uh, um, you know, dynasty keeper redraft, but you know, it's fun. It's easily my favorite hobby. 
as I, I know is the same for you all. <laughs> the very fun and addicting hobby. Yeah. Um, but before we get into the players tonight, uh, just a little bit about you. Obviously, we I mentioned just getting into the show, your bio. You, you do writing and co-host of the Red Seat podcast for the Over the Monster, and you contribute to Dynasty Guru. Tell our audience a little bit about what you're doing in each of those places. Yeah, so uh, I got my start at Dynasty Guru. I started writing there in 2018, a couple of years after I kind of found out just that Dynasty Baseball existed. Um, and that was, it. you know, really kind of uh, propelled me into doing this as a hobby. And I met so many good people there and still do some contributions there. Um, they have a Discord now that has 250 people that are in that. And I know that they're running a promotion over the next few days where if you normally it's $15, but if you donate $10 to the site, um, you know, you get access to that discord, which in my opinion, it's great because it's a very welcoming community. Um, you know, there's expert dynasty players, but there's also beginners. And, you know, I think that people feel comfortable asking what they might think was a beginner question there. Um, and you can always get a good reply from somebody at the website. So, I highly recommend it. Like I said, it's $10 right now, and we're going to have some mid-season consensus dynasty rankings that are coming out around the all-star break. So you'll get, you know, first access to that well before it. Um, after I wrote a dynasty guru, um, you know, and still do occasionally, I'm now at over the monster, which is a Red Sox um, website. And then I am part of the Red Sea podcast which is in the Monsters of Socks podcast network. So if you search for Monsters of Socks, you can find the Red Seat as part of that feed. It's with uh, Jake Devereaux and Keaton DeRocher. And um, we just recorded on Wednesday night. We do once a week um, and kind of dive into the minutia if you're into that, if you're a Red Sox fan. And uh, not go crazy with the Red Sox, but have a couple of names to bring up on the show today that I think, uh, you know, one, one obvious one and one deep dive. And that's anywhere they can find your uh, podcasts on any podcast platform. Yeah. So it's, it, if you look for monsters of socks, it's on um, Apple, it's on Spotify. Uh, and also my Twitter is Bob Osgood 15 uh, post everything there. So that might actually be the easiest way to find those. Heck yeah. Make sure you check out what Bob's putting out there right now. Uh, obviously with the podcast, all his writing, uh, very good stuff. So make sure you guys, as soon as you're done listening to this episode, you go check out all the stuff he's putting out there. With that said, we got to utilize Bob's talents tonight. Uh, he said he's a Red Sox fan, so uh, or he does Red Sox. I'm assuming you're a fan as well, correct? Yeah. Okay, just making sure. Uh, well, that's where we're going to lead things off in the call-up tonight as we talk about our players of the week, players that were doing really good since we last recorded. And again, keeping with the Red Sox theme here, Marcelo Meyer of those Boston Red Sox, shortstop prospect between high A and double A this season. 169 plate appearances with a 280 batting average, seven home runs, 34 RBIs, even giving it five steals. The walk rate above 10%, very nice to see. ISO at 230 is even nicer to see there, uh, Bob. So tell us, for those that haven't heard about Marcelo Meyer, what kind of player is he? Yeah, and I'm guessing just about everybody that's watching or listening to this show has heard about Meyer, um, but he was the fourth overall pick in 2021. He was a left-handed hitting high school shortstop from California and really in his first season in 2022 he just kind of checked all the boxes he didn't really blow you away with the numbers but he did everything that he should have done in his first year you know he at, at low a he had nine homers and 16 steals and a 286 average um 
WRC plus a 149 and did just enough to get the call for the last month up to high A, um, where he hit 265. Now he started in 2023 at high A. And, uh, you know, the reason that we're kind of talking about him today is that he got the call to double a Portland um, just two days ago. So um, Meyer actually, he had a two for 20 start, which tends to happen in the, in the Northeast with some of the cold weather. But after that first week in his 30 games after that, um, at high A, he had a slash line of 320, 386, 576, uh, with seven homers and 32 RBIs and five steals in those 30 games. Uh, so he was really just on a tear for a little bit over a month, and that's why he got the call to the double A. And with Meyer, you know, he's he doesn't have, you know, one category that's going to be a huge standout. I think he's going to contribute everywhere, and that includes average leagues, OBP leagues, um, he had some injuries last year, a wrist injury and a back injury. And I just, everything that he kind of said coming out of that was impressive to me. He talked about, um, on MLB.com kind of how he spent the off season, making sure that his body was in the best shape possible, learning from the injuries more than anything. Um, he said that he kind of took it personally, he said, this is what I love to do. And when I'm not able to play, it hurts a little bit. Um, so it seems like, you know, the talents there is just focusing on staying on the field this season and not, not being an injury prone player spoke of kind of how his different training and weights and all of that. Um, a couple other things with Meyer, you know, he's, I guess, you know, my understanding has been a great leader in the clubhouse. Uh, you know, even at 20 years old, he's bilingual. He, um, grew up speaking Spanish in his house. And I know with the Red Sox, with Alex Cora, um, and a lot of the Latin American players that they have, that that's an important thing in kind of the entire organization. And, you know, I've, I've just heard a lot of good things about Meyer and his leadership and, and the way that he is in the clubhouse. And I think that he'll kind of contribute in that way, um, you know, good makeup. And really, while it's unlikely that he'll get called up this season, um, you look at the shortstop situation in Boston and it's been a disaster. You know, Enrique Hernandez leads the league in errors. He's made nine throwing errors at shortstop, 11 overall, which is just craziness. And they have some guys coming back, Christian Arroyo, Yu Chang, you know, Trevor Story eventually that could help, should help with the defense. But, you know, it's conceivable that that he could get a September call up this year. You know, Xander Bogarts was 20 when he was called up. Raphael Devers was 20. They've done this with young infielders in the past. So I wouldn't expect it, but I don't think it's impossible, especially if if they continue to have an, an abomination in the middle infield uh, and Meyer keeps, keeps hitting in the higher levels of the minors. Do you see a player comp, any type of player for those that might not be familiar with his game of, of what he could look like in the big leagues? Yeah. The, the one that you always hear just another uh, left-handed hitting shortstop is, is Corey Seager. And mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not going to come up with a, a different one because I'm not smart enough to do that, but I think it, that it's perfect. And that's really just the kind of game that he has, um, you know, not a ton of speed, but really good offensive player and um, a good defensive player makes the plays has good range. Um, so I, I've heard that a lot, and I think it's a perfect comparison from from what I've seen. In redraft leagues, keep an eye out for maybe a September call up in dynasty leagues. I'm sure he's already rostered, but uh, obviously yep. the talent is definitely uh, undeniable with Marcelo Meyer. Uh, let's go and talk about our next player, and Owen Casey of the Chicago Cubs. And Vinny, you're staying close to home as well, as we're going from a Red Sox fan now to a Chicago Cubs fan. Uh, 
26 plate appearances over the last week. He's got a 385 batting average and 846 slug, uh, nine runs, four homers on the season uh, for double A this year, a 287 batting average and a 567 o- OBP, which is awesome. 11 home runs on the year. Uh, the Cubs outfield situation right now is interesting with Cody Bellinger hurt. Um, obviously, Ian Happ's kind of always up and down. Usually, I'm mean, obviously he's going to be a regular when he's healthy. Uh, but is tell us, talk to us a little bit about Owen Casey. Is he somebody that maybe could sniff the Cubs roster this year? And uh, what's his ceiling look like? I don't think we see Owen Casey this year, but yeah, you know, anything's possible this year with the Cubs. But no, we talked about Owen Casey a while back for our, you know, breakout prospects to watch for the World Baseball Classic when he was playing for Team Canada. Had a few nice games with Team Canada. Translated over to the season, he's having a monster season as a 20-year-old in AA. Like, if we're looking at leaderboards and stats, he has he's one of the best players on our, under 20 years old with an ISO above 250. Like, Owen Casey, I said in that episode, like, to stash him for this year just to see if everything starts clicking and everything is starting to click again. He just looks absolutely comfortable in double A after having a very, very bad last year, 2022 season in high A. He just looks like a different bat. Like, I never saw him when he was playing in the Arizona Complex League a few years ago when he broke out and was, you know, a borderline top 100 prospect redoing my top 100 list last week. Uh, there was no way he wasn't cracking the list right now. He projects to end the season with 30 plus home runs. He's his is probably his last month in double a he's going to more than likely be promoted to triple a Iowa before July 1st. But with how hot he is, the Cubs have never promoted a prospect straight from double a to the majors in recent years, besides um, Nico Horner, I wouldn't rule this out of the, you know, the leaves. If we see him get promoted from double a, if we see another injury, but yeah, Owen Casey is a serious bat to watch. He's starting to put everything together and he's starting to look like a scary prospect. Everyone is scared of his K percentage. He started off the year with a 47.3% K percentage rank or uh, rating. Since then, in the uh, the month of May, he's down to 36.2. So he's already dropped the K percentage by a whole 10, 11 spots. But like I said, if the K percentage keeps on dropping, he's going to start flying up prospect boards. It's We're on the cusp of a massive breakout, I think, because he easily possesses double-plus raw power. If the average starts to stick and the walks go up and the strikeouts go down, we're looking at a serious dynasty player. And you think 30 home runs in his outcomes. Yes. Type. He's easily, he easily is a 2020, uh, 25, 25 type of guy at the next level. All right. Owen Casey, keep an eye on him and watch if that K percentage starts dipping. Uh, he may be getting promoted and uh, heading over to AAA. Let's talk about James Wood, uh, who even the casual prospect people know who James Wood is for the Washington Nationals, obviously traded in the Juan Soto trade from the San Diego Padres to actually grew up uh, and went to high school near where I grew up in that area. Um, 20 years of age between high A and double A this year. He's got eight home runs, a 278 batting average, 
eight stolen bases this year, which people might not expect for a guy of his size. The K rate is, I think, something that people had been concerned of. And also, I know um, he hadn't been hitting for much power uh, early on, I think, towards the end of last year. And even beginning of this season, it was a little bit of a concern for him. But uh, he's really starting to put things together recently here, Mike. And obviously, kind of showing Nats fans what they could possibly see from him at the big league level someday. Yeah, so I debated which section to include James Wood in this week, you know, decided on the player of the week because he's, you know, he's off to a slow start in his three games since his promotion to double A, but, you know, not unlike Marcelo Mare, I think that, you know, getting the promotion at age 20 is worth the appearance on the show this season. You know, uh, we talked a lot about him last year. He was kind of one of the darlings of our show. He was a regular in the prospect watch. And uh, mm-hmm. we even had a moment we, we thought we he would make an appearance on the show. And I, I yeah. still have a beef with your barber, actually, because <laughs> he never came through on that. But anyway, it, looking at his scouting grades and the size, he's a unicornish type player. He's listed with an average hit tool, 70 grade power with plus speed, six foot five, 240 pounds. Like you mentioned, he was part of that Juan Soto deal. I think he could end up being the top player uh, the Nationals got in that deal. Entering last season, there were concerns about where the hit tool would fall, and he surpassed expectations with a 21% K rate as a teenager in A-ball. He also uses the entire field well and has had a 31% hard hit rate in, in 2022. So there's little debate. He'll be a big-time slugger in his prime. Uh, he currently possesses plus speed, but I wouldn't be shocking to see him slow down a bit as he reaches his physical maturity. I still think he'll be like a double-digit stolen base threat regardless. He's athletic enough to play center field, but likely profiles better in right field long-term. He's on track to debut in 2024 or 2025, depending on how he handles the upper level pitching. If he's able to keep his K percentage at a manageable rate, he has all the other tools necessary to be a high level power hitter that gives us the power speed we all covet. So I think he should be comfortably inside top 25 on every kind of list, even those that fade hit tool concerns. And you can make a strong case for him inside the top five if you're more into the upside players. He still has number one overall potential mm-hmm. if he replicates his success. He had in low A in the upper levels. So I'm clearly a James Wood fan. I see the flaw in his game, but his hit tool overrides it. I mean, his other tools override hit tool concerns for me. And he hasn't shown the level of hit tool concerns that would negate the other tools, in my opinion. So that's where I'm at with him. Mike, I promise you I'm going to get James Wood on the show. Uh, you have my word. It will be at some point. I'm going to talk to my barber and, and make that happen. Uh, James Wood is a, is a stud. Um, and we'll have you tell that himself at some point if you guys keep listening to the show. Uh, let's talk about our next player here. Mike Vassell of the New York Mets, a right-handed pitcher. 23 years of age in A right now. He's got 41 innings on the season with 48 strikeouts, a 329 ERA, and a sparkling .78 whip. Uh I got to go to you, Bob, here. Uh, New York Mets pitcher, uh, definitely intriguing, obviously, with the amount of injuries that they have in that rotation, and guys just haven't been effective. Uh, but tell us a little bit about Mike Vassell and um, what's his arsenal look like, his strengths, his weaknesses. What do you see in this kid? Yeah, so with Vassell, he, um, he's really made some strides this year, especially in some of his recent starts. And uh, with the exception of the most recent start where he actually um, got shelled a little bit and left with the trainer, but I haven't seen anything that's particularly concerning. So I feel that's kind of just a disclaimer that his last start didn't go that well. Um, But I haven't seen anything about him having a long-term injury. I think it was just kind of precautionary. Um, But before that, um, you know, like I said, in, in previous years, 
he had had some walk issues, you know, at, at low A last year, he walked close to three batters per nine at high A, he walked over four batters per nine. Um, he was a, an eighth round pick by the Mets. And when he came out of high school, um, he had had some injuries and he was a potential first round pick really kind of high ceiling prospect, but ended up going to Virginia and, you know, whether true or not, it seems like, you know, they kind of made him into a pitcher that he wasn't that comfortable with more of a sinker slider pitcher there. And the Mets really wanted to turn him back into the power pitcher that he was back in high school. And it, it took a little while for that to happen. And then he had some bone spurs in his elbow last year and he'd only thrown 71 innings. So it wasn't that great of a season, but then he went to the Arizona fall league and he looked really good in his 15 innings there. Um, and he has had a whiff rate, even in 2022, um, according to Baseball America, he had a whiff rate on all four of his pitches of 25% or better. So he has a fastball, a curveball, a slider, and a changeup, and they all grade out as 50 or better. Um, so, you know, not one dominant pitch, but he's got a really good pitch mix, and his velocity has started to come back as he kind of the Mets made some changes with him. He's sitting in that. 94 range sometimes a little bit more he tops out at 98 and he's a strike thrower so you know the concern i don't think that they're with uh vassal that there's a an upside of like an ace pitcher or anything like that because he is concerned that he could get too much of the plate as a strike thrower he needs to improve his command a little bit but the strides that he has made this year are pretty eye-opening um his his whip is 0.78 which is in all of the minor leagues, the third best for all qualified mm -hmm. pitchers. It's the best in all of double a, um, he has a K minus walk rate of 27%, you know, 31% K's and only 3% walks, um, that ends up at 27 K minus BB. And that's the sixth best in double a and the 15th best in all of the minors. So again, you know, it was, we weren't sure whether he was going to have that great command and he walked too many guys, but a 27% rate is really good. And that's in 41 innings this year. Um, if you look at his game log before the most recent outing, he had thrown six, seven and eight innings and given up a uh, combined one run in those three starts. So over 21 innings, um, has struck out seven or more in five of his starts this year. Um, so he's really kind of become a different pitcher and in reading some of the scouting reports, it seems like he's going to stay as a starter. You know, there isn't that relief risk that he might've had a year ago. They, they want him to be kind of a, a three at best four or five starter, um, you know, might be back of the rotation, but I think he could, he could be in your top 200 prospect lists. Um, whereas a year ago, you know, I kind of saw him. Uh, you know, I, I do roster him in that 30 team league and I saw him dropping out of some of those lists. Uh, so it was really good to see him make that return this year. Um, and, you know, like I said, with the, the, the low whip and the K minus BB and opponents are hitting 174 against him, you know, the stat line, those are all really good. Might not be a dominant ace, but I think it'll be a good back of the rotation starter for the Mets in a year or two. A 174 batting average against and the 3.8 walk rate really stand out uh, just for comparison for those that don't know much of, of how good that is uh george kirby has a career 3.4 percent walk rate across uh his time in the big league so far so for those that just look how dominant george kirby is when it comes to the strike zone uh that seems to be pretty close to his numbers here in terms of your, what you're getting here uh with mike vassal so definitely somebody to keep an eye on there for the new york mets
Next up is Anthony Solometto of the Pittsburgh Pirates, a lefty. 12 innings this year has not, uh, or I'm sorry, 12 innings over the last week, did not give up a run and had 11 strikeouts on the season so far. And he is in high A ball uh, for 2023, a 277 ERA and 48.2 innings with 57 strikeouts. Uh, he's got a 10.54 K per nine. Uh, so, Vinny, Pittsburgh Pirates have a lot of talent coming up. We don't usually talk about their pitching as much as some of their awesome position players. So uh, Anthony Solomento is definitely not a name that's uh, new around here, but he is someone that's very talented. Yeah, Solomento coming out of the draft scared me a lot due to his his you know his follow through, his wind up, his arm angle. Everything was screaming you know injury on the horizon. Pairing that with how the Pirates have you know, their history of developing pitching in recent years totally shoved me away from it. I, I wanted nothing to do with him back in 21. Now, so it, he sparked my interest again. The Pirates, they're doing something. I don't know if they changed, you know, player development or they hired new people, but they have a couple very sneaky arms coming up in their organization. And Solomon, watching him now gives me flashbacks of early Mackenzie Gore. Like we're talking about a left-handed pitcher with a very deceptive arm angle and windup with three plus pitches. You know, his heater is not too crazy. I think, you know, every all of his pitches play up due to his, you know, his arm angle. But his, you know, his fastball sits 93, 95, you know. I think this is one of those crazy arms that we see tick up towards the end of the year. Like right now is where all the steam and the hype starting to begin. I really do think we see him hit double a this year because the pirates, uh, the pirates are very aggressive with him this year for some reason, you know, he had an okay season last year, but with the early success, we're seeing them start to, you know, push it, but his arsenal and just his, his arm angle is very interesting. I really think, you know, if we look at pirate top prospect lists, you know, they're going to say Bubba Chandler's ahead of him on prime. Most of the lists I'd say Salamedo is easily inside their top five over guys like Nick Gonzalez. I'd say even over Quinn Pricer, I'd say he's their best pitching prospect right now. Uh, tailing him would be Jared Jones, but like, Solomon, I think, is just a few little tweaks away from being unlocked an easy starting pitcher 2-3. Like, he is, he has the stuff to command a rotation and to stay in the rotation. I really do not see, uh, you know, reliever risks unless we start to see catastrophic injuries with him. But so far, he's clean in two years. And we're going to, if he stays that way, I, he is definitely someone to own in Dynasty. And next year, maybe start looking into and redraft. All right. That's Anthony Solometto of the Pittsburgh Pirates. So let's finish out this section with our last player on the list. And that's Kate Horton of the Chicago Cubs, two Cubs on the initial part of the rundown here, 21 years of age between uh, a and high a ball this season, 29 innings, 45 strikeouts. That definitely stands out to you at a 38.5% K rate. He's got a three, seven, two ERA as well here, but the X FIP says, Maybe that's a little bit inflated because it's a 248 XFIP on the year for Cade Horton. Uh, Mike, obviously the strikeout stuff is definitely there. Nine walks in 29 innings isn't too bad either. 
Uh, Cade Horn, definitely not somebody I hear too much about compared to some of these other Cubs pitchers. So uh, what should we know about Cade Horton? Well, first of all, I should say, you know, when I brought up, when I thought to bring up Cade Horton, I was a little worried because Vinny's a Cubs guy and obviously <laughs> he knows the system more than me. But I also know he's a big fan of Horton, so I hope he approves of my breakdown here. So Horton was drafted seventh overall in 2022 out of Oklahoma, despite getting Tommy John surgery in 2021. He's listed at 6'1", 210 pounds. He doesn't have scouting grades listed on fan graphs, but MLB.com has him listed with a plus fastball, double plus slider, average curve, average change with average command. So that's four or better, four average or better pitches with a lethal fastball slider combo. Now, Horton's a former two-way player that uh, he also played quarterback at Oklahoma in college football. So he's one of the more athletic pitchers in the minors. His fastball sits in the mid nineties and touches 98 with excellent movement. His slider sits in the mid eighties, but can get up to 90 miles an hour and profiles as his best pitch. He throws it for strikes and can get some ugly swings on it when he throws it like in the dirt. So his curveball and changeup both need more development, but I suspect one or both of them will become serviceable third pitches. There is some concern whether he can handle a starter's workload since he barely cracked 50 innings in college and had surgery. However, he's showing me that he has the capabilities to remain a starter. It's more about the health with him at this stage and building up innings, but I think he has the stuff to make it work. So considering the fact that he was falling in the 20 to 40 range in most first-year player drafts this winter, he looks to me like one of the better pitchers in the class, particularly on the college side. If he can improve that third offering, remain healthy, and he seems to have as much upside or more than any pitcher in the organization. I'm not sure he started cracking many top hundred lists yet, but I, I see a clear path for that. If everything remains on the track over the next year, it wouldn't surprise me to see Horton become one of those high priced fab players in redraft when it's his turn to take over spot down the line. So I like him as a stash on the pitching side, maybe more than most Vinny. Do you have anything you want to include in there? Yeah, like when I redid my top 100 list, like he slotted inside the top 10 pitching prospects in baseball right now. Just how he is, how, just how advanced his repertoire is right now, even in double or um, high A, I don't see him staying around high A much longer either. He got shelled his first game, but since then he's been absolutely flawless. Like this is a guy we could potentially see next year at some point towards the end of the year. Like he's definitely is knocking on the door already. Um, Future-wise, I think he has enough to command a front-of-the-rotation type of starter, like maybe a 2-3. Like, his his fastball-slider combination is absolutely nasty. Like, he is going to destroy batters. But, yeah, but, like, besides that, I think he, he does have the high ceiling of all pitching prospects in the org. You know, the only guy I would, like, rival him to is probably Jackson, uh, Jackson Ferris or maybe Jordan Wicks. But yeah, he is a nasty pitcher. I was not ex- I was not happy with the pick when it happened, but he's really changed my mind since then. All right, Kate Horn, we're excited to see uh, him continue to prove Vinny's initial thoughts wrong here. Uh, let's talk about some notable promotions over the last week. People that were just promoted to the big leagues: uh, Royce Lewis, near and dear to my heart, topping the list here, hit a home run in the first week with the Twins. AJ Smith Scheuer with the Atlanta Braves. Ben Joyce throws like 105 miles an hour. Uh, with the Los Angeles Angels and Reese Olsen with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, all awesome promotions there. Let's talk about players that uh, we're keeping an eye on, Prospect Watch. Uh, Bob, talk to us about our first player here down in the low minors. Here is uh, Luis Perales of the your Boston Red Sox here, 20 years of age, a 
518 ERA, but looking past the ERA, there's a lot to like here. Yeah, let's go back to the well uh, with the Red Sox. Uh, you know, Luis Perales, he first was on my radar um, in late 2019, where I read about how he was 16 years old. Um, he was a Venezuelan, um, had kind of just come over and was throwing on some uh, instructional leagues and he was already touching 95 with his fastball at 16 years old. And I thought, all right, I got to kind of file that name away. You know, he was sitting 91 and 93 and already had an above average breaking ball at 16. So of course, right. That was leading into 2020 where there was a pandemic and then 2021 where we didn't really hear his name a whole lot. He had injuries. He only ended up pitching a couple innings in one game. Um, but then in 2022, he came back and in the short season ball, they kind of protected his arm last year. He went three innings per start. Um, you know, he ended up in the complex league for 25 innings and then throwing 10 innings at low A at the end of the season. So only 35, right? But after taking essentially two entire years off, um, they, they kind of wanted to protect him. He was still just 19 years old. <clears throat> so this year he started out at, he started out at low A and, Early on, he got hit around a little bit. He was certainly wild, and that is the one area that he's going to have to figure out um, is keeping the walks down. But with Perales, it is just – it's an upside play. If he puts everything together, if he can – you know, again, he's at low A. Over the next three, four years, figure out um, how to kind of harness that command, his stuff could be excellent, and he could end up uh, really going up on these prospect lists. Um, you know, I think he's probably right now kind of in that like 300 to 400 range of prospects, but I know on sockedprospects.com, um, which is just a, a great reference. If you're ever kind of looking for deep dives on scouting reports for Red Sox, uh, prospects, they have him at eighth overall, and that's higher, much higher than I've seen anywhere else. Cause they've gotten some live looks at him this year. And even though the, as you said, the, the statistics are not elite. Um, the stuff is, and it's a lot of it has kind of been walk related. Um, you know, he had, he was walking a batter per inning when in the 10 innings, when he got to low a last year and he's walking over six batters per nine this year, but in his most recent start on uh, May 27th, he threw five innings. He gave up one run, four hits, no walks, and he struck out 10. Um, he had seven strikeouts the time before that. So it's going to be interesting to see if he can kind of build off of that. Um, you know, 10 strikeouts and in five innings with no walks is kind of just something totally different from what he had done prior to that. The only run that he gave up was a home run to Brady House, which, you know, I, I think will allow that. Um, and he threw a really high uh, strike percentage in that game, had 55 strikes on 79 pitches. So I think we're starting to see some signs again, probably three years away as he's still 20. But, um, you know, he's got that kind of they talk uh, about the induced vertical break and the high spin rates at the top of the zone. And that's what you read. You know, even if you you can't see that um, he's got that rise, he's got that really good fastball and a 60 grade breaking ball. So if he can find a change up, which is more kind of average right now, um, he could definitely be somebody that that shoots up some boards. Your rookie mistake. I had my mic on mute. Uh, plenty, of, plenty of time for him to do that as right now him being in low A. Uh, obviously, again, uh, players that are, are very deep, deep down to look at. So 
Um, if this that profile, what Bob is saying, sounds intriguing to you, uh, he could be somebody that's out there in your dynasty league that you could be taking a shot on, just have him on your bench, and um, you know, keep an eye on what he's doing because if he makes those changes that Bob's talking about, he'll be shooting up boards and uh, you'll be in on him early. So that is Luis Paredes of the uh, Boston Red Sox. Let's talk about Nelson Rada of the Los Angeles Angels, another outfield prospect for them. In a ball, 190 plate appearances on the year, a 252 batting average, 291 OBP, and 386 slug. No home runs, but he's got 20 stolen bases. We got a speedster on our hands here, a speedster that doesn't strike out too much, a 20.5% K rate, and patient at the plate with a 14.2% walk rate. Now, Vinny, there are a lot of stuff to like here. Are major league teams going to, or I should say the Angels, uh, is it a problem that at this level that he has absolutely no pop? Is that something you think that they can work on his game? Obviously, he's 17 years of age, so he's very young, probably hasn't filled out his body. But um, I would assume that's one of the things that I'm sure the Angels are going to be working on with him. Yeah, that's one thing that I think is what they're trying to accomplish. I am still surprised that they even sent Rada to start the year in low A at 17. I was 100% dead set on him going to the complex league this year. But if, you know, you guys are hearing Nelson Rada, the name sounds familiar. He was the one guy that I liked better than Josue De La Paula on our, uh, our breakouts for this season episode from last November. He is looking like a superstar in the making. He started off the year very bad. You know, he had a sub, you know, 170 average, just couldn't do anything. He's starting to adjust now in the month of May. He has, you know, a 325, 450, 364 slash line. No home runs. I'm not worried about the power. He's 17. When the power comes, that's when everything's going to start clicking. A 135 WRC plus, a 16.8% walk rate, and a 14. 9% K rate in the month of May. Like he's starting to hit, you know, gap to gap power. You know, we're starting to see him start to put the ball in play and, and just start barreling up baseballs. And this is what he needs to do. I, you know, if he has a bad season this year, I'm not really concerned about it. He's only 17. Like everyone who's already starting to, you know, get worried and jump off the bandwagon, just sit back and relax. Let's, let's, let's calm down. Let's, let's revisit this a year from now. Because if we look at the track record of other prospects in the Angels organization, we just saw Ben Joyce debut. We've seen Zach Neto debut. At this point, it's any day potentially for Edgar Cuero to debut on this track record. Like We could be looking at someone who at age 19 could be playing in the outfield for the Angels if everything keeps on going right. Like I said, he's still you know he's still growing, and when that power comes, it's he's going to be a monster you're looking at you know plus i would even argue double plus speed like we're already looking at 20 strikeout or 20 strikeouts 20 stolen bases like at this at he could end the year similar to kind of like jonathan class a did last year and put up you know 40 50 stolen bases i uh, can't throw jonathan class a's name around too, I have too to. like <laughs> he is a stan of the show and he always deserves a spot in the spotlight but like I said, he is on a path that I don't think we've seen in a while. And, you know, everyone's trying to pick and pull at it, something negative from it. But I'm telling you, sit and wait, and this kid's going to develop into something special. 
All right, make sure Nelson Rada, uh, as Vinny said, if that power comes, he'll be shooting up draft boards. So uh, if you can trade for him or uh, at right now, if someone else has him, maybe they don't know the future ceiling that Vinny's predicting here with him. So you might be able to get him at a lower offer right now and just going to be looks like a fun kid to watch develop. Hopefully the Angels don't ruin him because I'm tired of seeing them uh, completely fumble the bag with their hitting prospects. Uh, it seems like there's just something in their minor league system. They're not developing these hitters correctly. Uh, obviously, Joe Adele being the biggest glaring example of that. Um, so but we'll carefully keep an eye on him. Uh, our last player in this section, Justin, well, section, Justin Crawford of the Philadelphia Phillies, outfield prospect, 19 years of age and a ball, a 333-404-431. Oh, there's a lot of, there's an extra slash line in there. That, that's a, the phantom slash line. He's also a player with no home runs, but he's got 20 steals. So we're, uh, we're all about speed uh, on this episode of the call up here. Um, but again, K rate under 20%, walk rate very respectable, 8.8%. Justin Crawford here, Mike. First of all, is, is he related to J.P. Crawford at all? Um, I'm going to take my shot. Oh, okay, no shot. Okay, they're not related. And um, what should we know about Justin Crawford? Yeah, I didn't realize his uh, stats this year were so close to Nelson Rodas at the same level. He's just a little bit older. So for those who don't know, this is the son of former big leaguer Carl Crawford. That's what it is. Okay. I knew there was yeah. a family tie somewhere. Yeah, and he possesses a lot of the same skills his his father did. You know, Crawford was selected 17th overall in the 2022 draft out of the prep ranks by the Phillies, and he's listed with an above-average hit tool, above-average raw power, and double-plus speed. His power is clearly his weakest tool at present, but he has the frame to add good muscle as he matures. And I don't think, I don't think he'll ever be like a major slugger, but if the hit tool cooperates, I think he's got the type of speed that would make a difference even at the highest level. I wouldn't expect the speed aspect of his game to start fading until he's on the decline, similar to his dad. So this is a legitimate stolen base threat. He's very long and loose type of athlete. He's clearly a hit tool and speed player, but the Phillies have mentioned that he they've seen him they've seen him hit in BP at their stadium and they like his pop. They think he's gonna grow into more power as he fills out. Like he's already put on 15 to 20 pounds of good weight since signing but he's still very slender. He projects to be a plus defender in center field where his speed can, where he can put his speed to good use. I think this is an electric type prospect that has a very intriguing combination of tools and pedigree. He's probably still well outside top hundred lists since, he, since he's a teenager in low A with no power. But if he continues to show growth to the point where he doesn't look like an empty speed player, that will change quickly. His scouting grades already show top prospect appeal to me you know, the 55, 55, 70. So if the numbers start matching or exceed, or he exceeds expectations, the rise would be meteoric. And I think Crawford is a very intriguing stash in dynasty leagues. He's someone I'd feel comfortable targeting in trades as a secondary, secondary piece and holding on to see how things play out over the next year. There's just too many good things lined up. So it's just going to take a couple years. All right. Keep an eye on Justin Crawford as he continues to develop for the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, let's talk about our last section of the night. Who's next? Calling our shots for who's going to be called up to the big leagues by our next episode. Usually out of our three, we always, I think, usually get at least one of these guys. Uh, so our first one up is Nick Lofton of the Kansas City Royals here, Bob. Triple A right now, 24 years of age, can play third or second base right now. He's got nine homers, 38 RBIs, hitting 281 in Triple A. The 11.2% strikeout rate definitely stands out to you. That's Obviously, very, very good uh, at the AAA level here. 
Um, the Royals, they're they're kind of going nowhere so far this season. They could definitely use uh, bringing up some young players and see what they could do in terms of uh, if they could help the big league club when they do contend. Uh, Nick Lofton, you see being a part of this Kansas City Royals team very soon. I do, but you know, you, you talked about getting one of these right every week, and just in the past hour, Nick Lofton has been put on the seven-day IL at AAA, so I have a feeling that um, I'm not going to be the one that got it right. Oh, man. So for everybody listening tomorrow, say, who's this jerk that you had on that's recommending <laughs> injured players to me? But um, up until an hour ago, he had just an unbelievable May, um, the month of May. You know, you have the stats up on the screen, but if you just kind of look at what he's done over the past month, uh, in 23 games, he's hit 341 with five homers and 27 RBIs um, with 15 runs. You talked about his strikeout rate. He had 11 walks and nine strikeouts in the month of May. Just absolutely elite numbers for the last 30 days. Um, you know, Kansas City is just having a tough season, and I think that they're going to try to get as many of these guys up and some experience and also see what they have. And with Lofton, you know, he's a sum of all parts player, but he also um, can play almost every position on the field. He came up, uh, he went to Baylor. He was a top college shortstop. He was the 32nd pick in the 2020 draft. And after that, they've moved him around with some second, some third. And then last year, they mixed in a lot of outfield, um, you know, just kind of trying to turn him into a super utility player. He had 68 starts in the outfield last year um, to get some experience there as well. So I think that he could end up taking a spot, you know, certainly not this week, but maybe a month or so from now taking just whatever an open spot might be. Um, he's had this year, he's had 32 starts at third and nine starts at second. So, you know, he was drafted as a shortstop. That's kind of the place that he's played the least over the last two years. Um, but Lofton made a lot of changes. He added, between 25 and 30 pounds, uh, hoping to add some power into his game, which as we can see, he's done. He now has nine homers on the season at AAA, and that was kind of the lagging tool. He was like a 30 to 40 game power um, for his kind of future value. But with nine home runs and adding that power, um, you know, and you, I've seen some interviews with Lofton talking about just kind of as the season would start, he would lose a lot of the weight that he put on. So just different weight training methods that he had this season. Um, and that's definitely shown. Um, so, you know, he's got the defensive versatility. He's got some speed, 55 grade speed. He's got a 50 to 60 hit tool and he's starting to add in some power. So, you know, I don't think that this is somebody that you have to, um, you know, even outside of the injury, I don't know that you have to go put a big bid on in a week or two, but I think you should look for him when he gets called up and maybe stash him uh, for a cheap bid or add because, you know, I think that that they are going to try to give a lot of different players playing time in Kansas City, a lot of younger players, maybe trade some of the veterans out of there. And I think Lofton will be will be one of those. And just just seeing him add that power was a, was a key for me that's kind of stuck out recently. And looks like he'll be multi-position eligible, which is always uh, a plus too exactly. for, for fantasy. I like I like where we're at with Nick Lofton. Hopefully he'll be back sooner rather than later, and he can be uh, somebody that's on our redraft radar this season. Yep. Next player, Bailey Horn, Vinny, Chicago Cub. Uh, definitely taking your shot here. I think uh, I'm surprised it's not one of the other Chicago Cubs that was mentioned on last week's show because I do feel like that he's ever so close uh, but you're going in a different direction here in Bailey Horn, a lefty, 25 years of age between double A and triple A as a 225 ERA over 20 innings pitched also has 31 strikeouts. 
Uh, so you think he's coming up to help the Cubs and not somebody that was mentioned on this show last week? Yeah, uh, this is really a Homer episode for me this week. But yeah. <laughs> Bailey Horn, you know, I've I saw him last year when he was with uh, the South Bend Cubs. He came out of the bullpen. He has a nasty fastball and an absolute hammer curve. He has an okay changeup. You know, it's a good serviceable pitch. But we're talking about a left-handed reliever who touches high 90s. He topped out this year at 98.3. We're talking about a left-handed pitcher, high 90s, hammer curve, and a serviceable third pitch coming out of the bullpen. You don't find those a lot. And usually when they do come up, they are around for a long time. The Cubs bullpen this year is absolutely horrible. It's one of the worst in baseball. Everyone's getting hurt. We've had a bunch of transactions this past couple of weeks. You know, Hayden Westnewski just got recalled. You know, we have Cody Hauer, uh, Hewer, and another relief pitcher, Manny Rodriguez, in uh, AAA. But so far this year, you know, as of yesterday, Bailey Horn has an 18.8% swinging strike percentage. Like, you're not going to find another arm, I think, that sh- that is in triple a that has the kind of stuff that he possesses like easily if he comes up and plays like how plays like he's been playing in triple a he's easily a top 20 relief pitcher in redraft next year like he is a guy that i would go put a bid on because it's just a matter of time before a an injury or b someone finally uh starts using their head over there in you know the north side but like i don't you will not find another relief pitcher like ready and you could potentially start within the next like two weeks. So you think they're trying to just still wait on Ben Brown that they think they'll kind of tease us a little bit by bringing him up, even though he's uh, obviously very talented. uh, Bailey Horn is, but I think everybody's been waiting for that Ben Brown. I'll make a prediction here. I'll go on record. If Ben Brown comes up, I I'm pretty sure that Bailey Horn comes with him. I that's the type of move that I would see. I'd see them DFAing one of, you know, multiple like maybe a, a madrigal or someone they will dfa someone and i think we will see both of them come up because they need pitching really bad and these two could come up tomorrow and make an impact all right i like it making a kind of a double uh, prediction there i like it uh let's finish out the show with some fireworks the player that everybody's waiting for ellie de la cruz mike this is the week third base and shortstop eligible 21 years of age Arguably the number one prospect in baseball, depending on where you look. 11 homers, 33 RBIs, a 303 batting average this season, 11 steals. I mean, this kid uh, went through the minors really fast. And I, I feel like when we first did this show is when he was like on the section prospect watch when we were first starting this show. And now he's on the, uh, on the verge of being called up and the, the world can't wait. Uh, is the wait finally over, Mike? I sure hope so. That's the reason I brought him up. He's been tearing it up. So obviously I took kind of the easy road here this week on the call-up section. You know, I looked at the other options, but the way Ellie De La Cruz has been playing, like he's more than deserving of the call-up. Besides that, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if he got promoted before our next show. Because once they leave the minor leagues, our window for covering them closes. So I couldn't let that happen. Besides, I think people enjoy hearing about Ellie. So I know I do. Uh, This has been one of my favorite prospects dating back, like you said, to two, two, three years ago when he kind of sort of emerged on the scene. I was drafting, stashing, and trading for him in every possible scenario I could. I obviously saw the red flag in his profile, but I'm just enamored with the power and speed and the unicornish type of 
size. And personally, I feel his hit tool concerns have always been a tad overblown. Not to suggest they aren't real, but he's always been young for the levels coming up. It's not uncommon for players his age to have swing and miss in their game against advanced competition. So from a a scouting perspective, he's listed with a below average hit tool, double plus power and double plus speed. So I'll start by saying I've seen players have long careers in the majors with the below average hit tool. It's not ideal, but most of them didn't have the same power and speed as Ellie. Now, now that the thing that myself and others are, are really excited about and why I included him in this section is his improved in pro- approach at AAA. Over the last month, he's hitting 347, 460, 743 with 10 homers and nine steals. But the key to, that comes with that is a 17% walk rate and 21% strikeout rate. So that's all I'm looking for from a player of this magnitude to give him an opportunity. Besides all that, he's expected to join an improving young lineup in one of the better hitters parks in baseball. You know, I try to keep things relatively realistic with these prospects because I don't want to like mislead people. But the truth is, Ellie De La Cruz is a unicorn. I think he's going to be a special fantasy player. I'm talking like perennial first round pick, even even if his K rate remains less than ideal. I think he's going to be better than O'Neill Cruz and Jazz Chisholm. The mm. closest player I can come up with as far as ceiling and potential fantasy impacts, Fernando Tatis. And I'm not saying he reaches that, but, you know, he's a player that has made the elevated K rate work. You know, people don't talk about Fernando Tatis' strikeouts. They just talk about how much fantasy goodness he brings to the table. I think the same sort of situation is going to happen here with Ellie De La Cruz. So I think whenever the Reds think he's ready, he's going to come up. I can't see him playing better than this at AAA. So I'm, I'm predicting it's going to happen in the next week. And you see a 35-35 potential in his future. I, I really do, especially if he continues running. I mean, he, he'll probably slow down a little bit as he gets older, but in his, especially in his early years, I definitely see that. It's just, that's not even a question to me. It's more about where will the batting average be at. Right. Ellie De La Cruz, hopefully this is the time. We're all hoping. Um, on that note, though, Bob, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. It was a blast, and uh, you really brought in some great players and some great insight on a lot of guys here. Uh, on this episode. So if you don't mind, please, can you plug your Twitter handle where people can find your work and anything else you want people to check out? Yeah. So again, my, my Twitter is Bob Osgood 15. Um, you know, I kind of have links to everything on there. Um, I'm writing at over the monster part of SB nation, which is a Red Sox website. Um, and then you can search for the monsters of Sox podcast network. And part of that feed is the red seat podcast where I host with, uh, Keaton DeRocher and Jake Devereaux every week. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, we've got that dynasty guru discord. It's $10 till the end of the week. And you can, you know, chat with me and 250 other people about Dynasty Baseball. It's it's a great uh, welcoming environment there that I highly recommend. So, um, you know, I'm just thankful in general that I have forums to write about and talk about baseball every week. And you guys are all great. Um, you know, Vinny, I get your uh, your email, a little Substack now and then, um, and and go through that. And it's just a wealth of information. And Mendy and Michael, I know we've we've talked plenty in the past and been in various leagues together. So uh, it's just really great to talk baseball with all of you. Appreciate the invite on today. It's great having you, man. Um, really appreciate you joining the show. And for then again, people want to check him out. It's at Bob Osgood 75 on or they say 15 or 75. 15. One five. I should get my glasses on one of these days. Uh, <laughs> Bob Osgood 15 on Twitter. Make sure you, you make sure it's 15 and not 75 there. Uh, but for Bob, for Mike, for Vinny, I'm David. We'll catch you guys next week on the call.